Hey, so what's the deal with brunch? I mean, if it's a combination of breakfast and lunch, how come there's no leper or no liner? Welcome back. She has a point, whoever this person is from Seinfeld. Um, why isn't there a liner? I guess because it sounds ridiculous. Brunch just sounds better than liner or whatever. Um, and more people, I think, are prone to not be super hungry first thing in the morning. But then they get hungry before lunch, so they want it, and they have to call that something. So that's my best guess. Uh, but first topic I want to talk about uh, is Cory Bush. People may not know who Cory Bush is. Uh, I didn't know who she was until yesterday. Oh, and also I want to uh, address the fact that I did not post yesterday. I had kind of a long day, and it takes a long time to research things to talk about, to obviously record the podcast, and then you know edit it and and. Make sure it sounds okay, put everything together, uh, overcome any technical issues I have, things like that. Uh, uh, I just didn't, I, I, was, <laughs> I was tired and I didn't want to force it and then put out something that was bad. So hopefully that is understandable. But just for some context, uh, Corey Bush is a... U.S. Representative from Missouri's 1st Congressional District. She is a Democrat. She just won. She's 45. And when we look at the election results from 2020, she won um, hands down. So I guess this this uh, district in Missouri is heavily Democrat because she got 78% of the vote. Um, but one thing I, I've noticed here is it says the total votes counted is 316,000, uh, which seems very low. And I Googled the, the population of Missouri. It's over 6 million. Obviously, not all of those people are of voting age. But when I Google the population of Missouri over the age, of, according to census, 4.1 million people. So... That seems kind of ridiculous for only 316,000 people to turn out to vote um, while there are 4 million. Kind of ridiculous. So I didn't know who Cori Bush was. Um, I could only assume certain things based off the fact that she has a D next to her name. And, uh, and then when I uh, blurb on her, she testified in the House Oversight and Reform Committee about her experiences giving birth. During her first pregnancy, she, she said she had informed the doctor of severe pain, but was ignored. Um, and as a result, went into preterm labor and premature birth. The birth of the baby, fewer than 37 weeks. Isn't that big a deal? Uh, not a big deal. Speaking out of ignorance, but I know I, I was a preemie. Uh, not, you know, anything extreme, but I turned out fine. Um, and then she obviously... I mean, I guess not obviously, just to give you an insight at the kind of person this is, this is, uh, we're dealing with, it's, uh, she attributed this to quote, harsh and racist treatment that black women face during pregnancy and childbirth birth. And then in a tweet, she wrote every day, black birthing people, again, birthing people is a ridiculous term. Um, 
I don't want to get on a tangent, uh, but I will just for a second. The fact that we are just getting rid of the the term woman, um, because those are the, it's common sense, those are the only people who can give birth, right? I mean, that's how it's been for the entirety of, but we're going to call them birthing people. Okay. Uh, black birthing people and our babies die because our doctors don't believe, um, obviously, uh, these things without any evidence. Um, she's also, for, she was endorsed and is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. So all around pretty terrible candidate in my opinion. Um, but the reason I'm bringing up Cori Bush is that she defends calling to defund the, that's what it says, in response to a legacy of police and proxy violence Blah, blah, blah. The government should defund the police. And what are they going to do to replace it? Uh, we're going to take the money that we would uh, spend it on social workers. Uh, I don't know. They, I mean, there's not really any to defund the police. Um, and that's generally a... Oh, here, here's a little graphic. Uh, what we mean when we say defund the police. Reforms. Uh, this says police don't keep us safe. Very interesting perspective to have. Um, who will keep us? Police don't prevent crime. Um, is is not true at all. I don't understand how you can think that. And again, it's it's these are thoughts and uh, perspectives that people have that go unchallenged, and they don't think deep uh, deeper than they. But. She calls for defunding the police while having private security. And then she's quoted as saying, would you rather me die? I have private security because my body is worth being on. All right, so I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, but there's more details, right? So having private security as a public official isn't necessarily wrong, but she has been called hypocritical for $70,000 on private security while pushing to defund the police. And so just on that alone, right, you hear that and you think, well, you're a hypocrite, right? You want to defund the police, which is, would make communities unsafe or at least less safe than they were while you spend an exorbitant amount of money. And do you think she's spending 70000 of her own money? No, she's spending $70,000 of my and your tax dollars but she's pushing for defunding the police and there is a and, and people someone asked her about it and this was her her response i'm gonna uh i'm, try, I'm trying a new thing here where i'm gonna put some some audio clips in and uh and then give my reaction to them so here is uh cory bush trying so there is a lot to unpack there at least at least a little bit to unpack i mean the fact that she is doubling down saying that, you know, if she were to spend 200000 or $10 more, uh, it's it's worth it because, you know, she is doing the, the good work for the people. But at the same time, we need to defund the police, which uh, has been disastrous. I mean, it's not a secret. It's not hard to find. It's not hard to Google. Uh, it's, it's not... Uh, it's plain as day, very obvious, that violent crime is skyrocketing in these major cities. 
where they are cutting back police funding. I there's a there's a clip I'm going to play later from Tim Scott uh, where he talks about there are like 400 open uh, police positions in Baltimore and crime in Baltimore has skyrocketed. But what this really illustrates is the hypocrisy of the left in general, but more specifically, Cori Bush. Um, she's saying, I need, I, need, I need security. I need the police. I need protection because what I'm doing is important. The average citizen, not for you. Uh, sort of uh, do as I say, not as I do. And um, something I, I had heard that uh, uh, that was kind of funny uh, that I cannot take credit for is uh, everybody wants to be Simon and Simon Says. Uh, and that's kind of how it goes here. Uh, and that's from Greg, Greg Gutfeld. Um, and it's, it's funny that I just had a, a, a podcast about authoritarianism, uh, you know, communism and Mao. Um, and, and this kind of illustrates and, and, and there are there is some I don't know underpinnings of that in what she's saying um, and this also would describe and explain why people are buying guns in mass uh, because a when you defund the police uh, there's no one there to save you from criminals so you have to defend yourself and then uh, the fact that she's she's saying, you know, uh, I'm a politician. I'm more important than you. Kind of leads you to believe that she's um, going to push the boundaries of her power. And uh, something I want to um, point out is that most people, except for Cori Bush, I mean, Cori Bush is a, a black woman. Um, she's talking about the fundamental, that is, that is the stance of, of Black Lives Matter in general. Um, but there is a Gallup poll from August of 20, where they polled black Americans to see what they want. Do they want more police presence? Less? Remain the same? What? So here are the results. Uh, black Americans... 20% of them want more police. And the question they asked was, like, would you rather the police spend more time, the same amount of time, or less time as they currently spend in your area? Black Americans, 20% said more time, 61% said the same time, and only 19% said less time. So that means um, 81% of black Americans polled Gallup poll uh, would like police to spend more or the same amount of time in their neighborhoods. And actually, what's funny is that uh, the people, the black Americans who said they wanted more police presence and more police to spend more time to be spent in their communities is higher than white Americans. White Americans, I guess, due to white privilege. And then Hispanics are at 24%. But, I mean, this just illustrates that uh, it's not a popular thing amongst black Americans. Um, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a clip here. Not, not the whole thing because it's kind of long. But Tim Scott is uh, 
is a senator. I know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, he is a senator. He used to be a representative, but he took a uh, what's-his-face left. from. Uh, I'm a huge fan, as a South Carolinian, of Tim Scott. Um, but yes, Senator Jim DeMint is. And um, an incredible human being. I had an opportunity while I was in college to, to watch him and, and go listen to him speak. Um, but is one of those people who really climbed out of the gutters of poverty, of destitution. And uh, so here's here's a clip of him kind of um, bemoaning the defund police. I mean, there you go. I mean, it's, it's nothing uh, more to be said there. I mean, he makes a great point. He kind of reiterated what I said. But it's, I mean, the, the, the relation to housing, I think, is important, too. Um, how are we going to, you know, get people to trust where they live, feel safe in their own house, feel safe in their own communities when we're literally removing the, the one protection, the one, the last line of defense that people have against uh, criminals, how, I mean, that's going to negatively affect a lot of these communities. And uh, like I said, that's why you see a lot of people buying guns. But first, I, I want to make I want to make one point. Uh, this is not something I came up with, and not an observation that I that I made. But I heard from someone else a, a quote from George Orwell. The, uh, not I guess a, a, a comedic or parallel view of communism, socialism in general, in the form of a, a farm with animals. So. Uh, here's, here's, here's the quote. I mean, let's see if this, if you can see the relation between what is said here and what Cory Bush says, it says, this is pigs and, and then the pigs in animal farm kind of re- represent the, the leaders of the communist regime at the farm, which, like I said, in a previous podcast, communism doesn't have this idea of a centralized government. It's a commune. Everything is shared. There is no leader, really. But the pigs are the leader. But here's the quote. It says, Comrades, he cried, you do not imagine, I hope, that we pigs are doing this in a spirit of selfishness and privilege. They're talking about uh, taking more than the rest of the people. Many of us actually dislike milk and apples. I dislike them myself. Our sole apples, this has been proved by science, comrades, contain substances absolutely necessary to the well-being of a pig. We pigs are brain workers. The whole management and organization of this farm depend on us. Day and night we are watching over your welfare. It is for your sake that we drink the milk and eat those apples. And so it's kind of scary in a sense uh, and, and, and crazy that you can replace some of the words in that quote and it matches exactly to what Cory Bush is saying, right? Even to the point where it says, uh, many of us actually dislike the milk and apples, right? She's saying, I hate the police. I don't like them. But I need them because, uh, you know, I uh, am watching over your welfare. It is for your sake that we drink the milk and apples. It is for your sake that I spend $70,000 on private security. So I just wanted to make that that, that uh, uh I read that quote and kind of make that observation. I cannot take credit for it. 
Um, I think it, uh, it was uh, somebody had mentioned it, and then Matt Walsh had mentioned it in his podcast, and I thought I'd mention it here because it's it's very interesting. And uh, and George Orwell uh, is definitely a lot of his books are very prophetic about the way American society works today. Uh, but here is the clip that I was talking about with Tim Scott. So I'm not sure the full context of why he's saying this statement and in and then in what uh, committee he's making this. I think it has something to do with housing, right? But he makes the exact same point I just made uh, that it's not something that people want, but yet people are pushing. Uh, and it makes you ask and wonder, like, why, you know? The, the, you, you think your representatives, the people you elect to represent you in government, would have your best interests at heart and, you know, would try to match, you, you know, what you want and do what you want in government. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. So what is the goal with the defund police movement, right? Do Does Cory Bush legitimately believe that defunding the police will lead to uh, you know, safer environment for her community, uh, or is she have does she have some other nefarious reason? I have no idea. Um, but obviously, uh, overall, a very terrible woman. Uh, I think I can say that with um, objectivity. I mean, not terrible in the sense that she's a bad person, but she's definitely a bad politician. Um, uh, and then the next topic I want to talk about has nothing to do with what I just talked about, which is typical on this podcast because I kind of jump around. Uh, I have, I haven't been diagnosed necessarily with ADD, but it's kind of how I operate. Um, uh, something that the left, uh, likes to repeat over and over again, again, without evidence and without any sort of challenge generally, um, in the mainstream, at least. You only really hear rebuttals if you go out and look for it. Uh, but the gender pay gap, right? Generally, the number is women earn 77 cents on the dollar for every, I mean, it's, it's earned 77 cents for every dollar a man makes for the same work, which isn't true. Um, because the way they came to that number is they took uh, all the hours worked by men in every job, and then all the hours worked by women in every job, and just did the math, and then came to this number. But they didn't account for a lot of variables, right? Which is kind of like, uh, in terms of statistics, you need to control for a lot of things before you make a, a statement. And so when you account for just hours worked, so uh, men are way more likely to work uh, more than 40 hours a week than women, the wage gap instantly, when you just account for that, just the hours worked, not the job, not the, you know, whatever, the wage gap gets reduced to 89 cents on the dollar. Still not one for one, but we've only accounted for one variable and we've increased uh, the different, the, the distance by 12 cents. But if you were to consider the types of jobs uh, women have, right? Who, you know, te teachers are typically women. Um, 
<clears throat> women are you know more likely to be in sort of uh, just in lower paying fields, while men generally uh, go into engineering and, and business, and they and those are just higher paying jobs and higher paying fields. And then if you account for the fact that women have babies and they uh, will then stay home for long periods of time to raise their children, that will account for the, you know, obviously you're not making money during that time. And you're also, uh, in terms of your male counterpart, um, lagging behind in experience. Um, but even without the math or anything, if you just use common sense and think about it, if it's true, let's just assume it's true that women get paid 77 cents on the dollar. Why as a business, would I not just fire all my men and hire women? If I can save, because you know, margins in business are extremely thin, despite what people want to tell you, right? Record revenues with oil companies or, or whatever. Um, your your profit margins generally in business are extremely thin. So if I could save twenty three or yeah twenty three cents instantly just by firing all my men and hiring women instead, I would do that in a heartbeat. But that's not what's happening. So why is that? So why? So like what, what I mean it would, it would make sense right as a, as a business owner, I could just save money instantly. It would it would make economic sense. To do that so the fact of the matter is there is no gender pay gap when you account for all the things that they don't account for originally the uh, gender pay gap disappears and then in some cases um, women get paid more per uh, more on the dollar than men um, I think it's and, and also I think uh, it's ridiculous that this is even an issue and still brought up as fact again without any assertion or any uh, demand for evidence but uh, women uh, go to college more than men recently the, the, the amount of people who apply and get accepted to college women make up the majority of those so what majors are they picking right liberal arts generally which lead to lower paying jobs it's really just as simple as that um there there, there is there is no you know when you look if you i mean you could you could just ask any woman at any job where she has the same exact job as her male counterpart they have the exact same experience. Everything is controlled. Everything's the same, except for the fact that she's a woman and the other person's a male. They are going to be paid the same or the differences are going to be very minute. So there is no gender pay gap um, is my is my thesis. And it's it's very easy to Google. It's very easy to look up. I would say that the comments have been made very by easy these doms, or at least a couple of them, tweeting about the police uh, have the next, everything uh, to do with housing. Kind of related, the fact uh, of the matter is, is this housing idea is incredibly important, but safety in the place where a, you live from a clip is number from, one. Uh, and so when you have folks talking about Bill defunding the police, last night you are actually making the housing issue and the desire for home ownership and for a good, safe place to live issue number one. I can't imagine 
than something more important than safety than the white in the place and so, where you live. And having you know, lived in some of the poorest parts racism, of South Carolina, right? I can tell you firsthand you, 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 you that the one right thing, racism. no one some sort of living in problems, the communities where something I grew in the way, up something is asking for defunding the police. That, not um, a single person. Uh, not one. That I'll say uh, this. Can't be that you look at the most recent or, or need, something needs to happen, polls right? and surveys but done. My counter argument more than eighty percent of African Americans think it was podcast has said very clearly the they want the same level of policing Africa, or more policing. And that is consistent throughout every demographic in this country. And and so while we can make this into a political issue, this is an issue that impacts real people. And in if, real places you know, so that racist, feel why would they do that? insecure um, but and if you, unsure if you look about up where they Nigerian, live and they want immigrant, the same dignity and respect in where they live. Nigerian and so for income, us to take this a, a as a simple a political issue household is income frankly inconsistent with the reality higher faced than the by so many for people all US households. who simply want to They also had a lower poverty rate than the national average. And uh, in lower poverty rate than the uh, the average uh, African American poverty rate. And so I want to ask um, this may be a dumb question, but what race are Nigerians generally? Right? If I if I Google Nigerian American, I click on images. Uh, I see a lot of. I guess what you could consider people of color. So, um, if black people get paid 40% less than white people, but Nigerians being black people earn more than the average American and earn more than the average white person. Why, why does that happen? And, 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 and so what I think it is, is that it's more of a cultural thing than it is a race thing. And it always has been. Um, I think, you know, BLM and uh, the left in general don't want to address the collapse of black culture over the last mm, century, really. But even the last 50, 60 years, um, you know, he was reading, Bill Maher was reading out stats about incarceration rates and, you know, they're less likely to go to college and all these things. Um, right now, uh, 75% of all newborn, 75, 75% of all black babies that get born right now are born without a father. And so you're telling me that has no role in that? It has no role in the outcome of that child's life, not having a dad. I guess, uh, yeah, if you want to make that argument, go for it. Um, but back to the Nigerian-American, uh, Nigerian culture is uh, extremely uh, different than just your typical black American culture. They uh, value education highly. They value uh, success and and and, uh, and respect highly. Um, their their uh, traditions and culture match up very well with America, uh, which makes sense and is proven out by the fact that they are very successful 
in America. So I don't understand if America is so racist and there are all of these obstacles in the way, how are Nigerian Americans figuring it out? What's the secret? They should be telling other people what they're doing. Are they just getting lucky? Um, this says here in 2019, there was a survey that there are uh, over 450,000 U.S. residents that report Nigerian incest. Um, uh, what's their secret? How, how do you do it? Tell the rest of us because um, we're suffering out here. But I guess not we, but black people apparently are suffering. And it's because of the white man. So somehow the Nigerians have, Nigerian immigrants have defeated the white man, overcome those walls and overcome those boundaries. Uh, so I, was, I would love to know why. You know, and my, and my guess is it's, it's culture. And, and then the reason that um, black people or, or, or black people in general are less successful in a lot of different areas and um, in a lot of different statistics, they come out behind different races um, to jump to just racism as the uh, cause is uh, stupid. Um, I don't think it's wise to do that in any respect, um, to just jump out to some conclusion based off uh, nothing, right? You claim racism, but uh, in 2021, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if everything, contro everything control, everything even. You have a white family and a black family with, you know, black kid and white kid. And they live in the same area. They go to the same school. Like you do a study and you, you control all the variables perfectly. What barriers are the is the black person going to face? I'm not denying the fact that there are racists in America. Um, I've never actually seen or experienced one in real life. I've never uh, seen a white supremacist in real life, right? And I've seen them on like the news, right? Because people will go out and find them. I've seen them in videos and so I've read about them in history, you know. But I'm sure they, they're out there, right? Just like there are tons of bad people out there who who are who believe bad things. Um, I'm not denying that. But to say that the system itself is racist and out to get you if you're black, I think is wrong. And then one of the uh stats that Bimar brought up was um you know the fact that a lot of poor schools and poor performing schools are predominantly black uh, but yet 95 percent of all black people vote democrat and democrats are vehemently against school choice which in my opinion would solve that problem um in every other aspect of life uh, competition and choice improves your experience, right? Let's say in, for phones, if the government outlawed and banned every other phone company in America besides Apple, what is their incentive to innovate, right? What is their incentive to make their iPhone better? There isn't. You, you don't have a choice. If you want a phone, you have to buy it from them. So then they'll just 
I guess, keep it the same or they'll just make it cheaper and it'll suck, but then you just have to buy it. But that's not how school works, right? Schools, public schools, you are assigned a district and depending on where you live, you go there. And then depending on, on your county, you pay taxes that go into a fund and then get redistributed to schools based on a number of different factors. Um, obviously that's not working, right? I mean, it's clear. I mean, you, you can see globally, uh, U.S. children, U.S. students are falling behind uh, in reading levels, mathematics, and just general comprehension and critical thinking. Um, the Federal Department of Education budget was roughly $60 billion, and there are 70 million school-aged children in the United States, so that comes out to about a little over $850 per kid. Um, so that's the federal budget. Um, obviously a lot of that goes towards, uh, uh bureaucracy and, and pencil pushers and stuff like that. They don't actually go to children. It doesn't actually help anybody. Um, but in California, they spend $17,000 and four hundred dollars per pupil. So per child in the public school system. So if I take that and I add it with eight fifty seven fourteen. I get $18,280. So school choice basically boils down to how about we take the money that we're spending on kids, right? Which if you were to average all the states and the federal spending on, on students per pupil, America spends more on education per pupil than any other country in the world. And I looked up the average price of a charter school and it's uh, $6,585 per pupil. Um, so why not attach, how about get rid of districts and make schools compete for students? Because right now there is no reason. They, 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 they don't compete for students. They compete for money, dollars. There is no incentive for them to have good teachers. There's no incentive for them to develop and teach and uh, uh, develop good you know, members of society at all, right? Their motivation is I want tax dollars so that um, we can, you know, buy stuff for the school. School choice means your tax dollars are attached to your kid and then the parents decide where the kids go. Um, and it's not like it would be impossible for the buses and the, the busing system to accommodate that, right? just like public transit. There just would be uh, public school buses that have a bunch of stops to different schools and you just get off at the school you go to. Because if your school sucks, if, you're, if your school is bad and your child is suffering and you're a parent and I'm assuming you love your kid, you would just take your kid out of that school, the school would no longer get that money and that money would go to some other school that has better performance. Um, and I've mentioned before that I, I've, I've wanted to uh, include some uh, counter arguments. And so Samantha B did a little bit, did, did a segment, I don't know how long ago, on why school choice is bad because, you know, Democrats hate it 
for some reason. And uh, so I'm going to play a little bit of it. Uh, Samantha B is pretty insufferable. Um, so I'm only going to play a little bit of it and then I'll kind of, you know, the, the points that she makes, I'll respond to them and point out why they are uh, ridiculous. So, uh, so here's Samantha B kind of, uh, I guess, making a bunch of straw men and uh, not being funny. So as you can see, uh, not funny. And then her voice is very, uh, very irritating to listen. But everything she complained about uh, would be fixed under a system of school choice. Uh, when she talks about, you know, there's some shady charter schools that's between the liquor store and whatever. Uh, parents just wouldn't send their kids to that school. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, and then, you know, oh, there's no need for regulation. Oh, free market would fix it. And then she says, well, it hasn't happened. Well, yeah, it, duh, it hasn't happened. Um, because school choice isn't like a thing. <laughs> like uh, the way sc charter schools or public charter schools are kind of done state by state uh, is not what school choice is and how it wants to be implemented at a federal level. So to say that the free market hasn't fixed it yet uh, is a straw man because uh, th the system isn't in place yet. So how could you say it doesn't work if it's not even being used? So here's, uh, here's another clip. Uh, this might be my last one because I literally can't. I mean, good Lord. Uh, I just... I don't understand. I mean, I don't know if she's still on TV or what, or what her audience numbers were. I guess like I could Google it and find that out, but I, I guess I don't care enough. Um, I just, I just have to assume something. But um, again, I mean, the points that she's making are just not true, and and <laughs> and don't really address anything about the school choice. Um, I mean, she even says some charter schools are good while some are bad. Okay, well, we'll just send our kids to the good ones. And then the bad ones will go away. And then if there's not enough schools, we'll build more. And those will compete just the same for kids. Again, not addressing any part of the school choice platform. Um, and then her claim that they, what they, <laughs> the real conspiracy theory is that the Republican party wants to replace, uh, you know, public school with this, like the, the secular public school with this fundamentalism, you know, curriculum is a farce. Uh, if you want, as a parent, you want to send your kid to a school that is, you know, Christian based or fundamentalist or how you know whatever however she describes it that's up to you it's your kid but if you don't want to don't send them there so I I, I really don't understand the point of of saying that and then also the clip where she plays uh, audio clip of, of of a man that she doesn't uh, say the name of or introduce because she knows it would be it would show a little bit of a, of a bias his name is Mark uh, Pocan, and uh, he's a U.S. representative from Wisconsin's second, uh, and he is a wild Democrat. He uh, 
He is a co-chair of the LGBT Equality Caucus, uh, the Progressive Caucus. He's, uh, he is a part of a lot of Medicare for All Caucus. Yeah, I mean, it's not like this guy uh, is a unbiased uh, speaker, right? So the reason she doesn't say who's speaking uh, is on purpose. So uh, Samantha B overall insufferable, not a secret. I mean, I don't think she's on TV anymore. And if she is, no one's watching. I don't know how they're funding her. I mean, TBS or whoever must be losing money. Um, but uh, school choice just makes sense when when you when you think about it. And uh, you when I when I when I pull up this uh, graphic of the uh, the public spending per state on schools, right? Um, and then you can look at the, the historical nationwide public K through 12 spending per pupil has been on the rise since 2007. Um, yet public K through 12 expenditures total over $640 billion. Um, so funding for K through 12 ed- education totals 734 billion or 14. Yeah. Which I already told you. Um, but you look at some of these states, uh, and she's saying that the cost of a charter school, right, the difference between what you would be given as a voucher would not, you know, cover the cost of uh, a charter school and that you, some people can't pay the difference, uh, is not true. I mean, I'm looking at states here. I mean, you're telling, I mean, I, I just, I just looked, I told you the average charter school, public charter school right now is $6,500, right? And I think as most people understand, uh, as competition starts and as competition is introduced and, and, and a market is created, prices decrease. So, um, when, you know, we're giving, let's say, I'm just going to pick a random state. Uh, we'll put my, well, my state, my state here, it says, I don't know what year this is. I mean, it might be 2021. Yeah. August 21, 21, uh, 10.7 K. So 10,000, almost $11,000 per pupil. You're telling me that's a, not enough to attend a charter school, not enough to send, I mean, at least send to a school that will compete for that student, right? Because the system right now is broken. I don't under, I mean, she's, def- that's, she's kind of caught a rock in a hard place. She's defending a system that is broken and then trying to trash a, a system that isn't existing and with stats that don't make sense and straw men that, I mean, they're straw men, so they don't exist with arguments that don't make make sense. But even, I mean, New York, $23,300 per pupil. That's insane. You're telling me that's not a, we, that's like a car. You can buy a car, a brand new car for that. And that's not enough to send your kid to school, a good school. So, I mean, when, I, when we're talking about poor black communities and their district into these places, they have no choice but to send their their kids to these very poor performing black schools, predominantly black high schools, predominantly black middle schools that are poor performing, that have metal detectors 
at the entrance that has a fence around, you know, the school um, where uh, there are um, lockdowns all the time. There's locker searches. I mean, wouldn't you as a parent want to choose where your kid goes to school? That I mean, that's it. And I, and I do believe that there is some role, uh, not at the federal level so much, but at the state level to educate the children, its citizens. So I think school choice is important. I think it's important to um, continue to talk about it and debate it and, 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 and think about uh, how to implement it perfectly. Um, but right here, internationally, U.S. stands in the middle of the pack in science, math, and reading scores. Um, which, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's not a secret. Since 1990, we've been getting worse and worse. Uh, so I, I don't understand why uh, Democrats are so against it. I mean, I, I say I don't know why, but I, I mean, I, I, I have a, a little bit of an inkling why. Um, and its name is the Teachers Union. The Teachers Union donates an incredible amount of money to the Democratic Party. And so the Teachers Union d does not want school choice um, because it takes the power away from them. So they're going to lobby their Democratic friends to make sure it doesn't happen. There you go. Um, it's all one big sham. Uh, so there's that. Next, I want to talk about the infrastructure bill and how it got passed through the Senate when there's a 50-50 split. Uh, that means some Republicans had to vote for it. The cost of this infrastructure bill is over a trillion dollars. And regardless, when, when Republicans or Democrats or whoever is supporting the bill tells you that it's going to pay for itself, they're lying to you. Uh, I've already been talking for an hour. I'm sure uh, when I edit this down, maybe it'll get shorter. But I want to go through, I, I, you know, you can go and, and get the PDF and look at the 2,700-page bill for infrastructure, right? The issue of school um, choice can be confusing. It's there called the, schools, this act may be cited as the Infrastructure schools, Investment and Jobs Act. Schools, how do right? they work? So you think, you Much know, infrastructure, right? So we're going to spend money on bridges, schools, uh, roads, vouchers, trains, I don't know, schools. stuff In that deals with infrastructure. I can see that. Out of a um, traditional public school. But that's also not what's all in there. Paid for, their kids um, education there. for some reason, to their new uh, but some of those I'll alternative schools can be reference. pretty shady. Gender identity. That's how I inadvertently enrolled my son uh, in a dog obedience. Is now given I tried to get my money back, meaning but the bitch principal wouldn't let me. United States. Private law. and charter schools can be especially Gender identity, problematic because which some states have has nothing to do with no infrastructure. So I have no idea why it's in this bill. Of course, uh, uh, something else that's in there. I mean, there's I wrote Bible I wrote down a couple of uh, of subsections in here. All day. There's Classes there's something called the National Motor Vehicle Per Mile User Fee Pilot. Massage parlor, which um, sounds crazy in any place. There's something funny I want to point out about it. The state flag is the political philosophy here is that regulation isn't necessary. Go, because the free the, market will sift the bill, out more quality bills schools are so that ridiculous. Happened, it's which is why Floridians so bloated. can still enroll in the CMB um, so Scientology to get to the, the meat of what form. you're looking for. 
is, is, is very difficult. So there's this uh, inside the infrastructure bill. Again, I don't know why this is in the infrastructure bill. I guess it's a way to raise revenue for it, but uh, not going to be very popular. And, and then the way they phrase it is kind of interesting too. But this per mile user fee, the term per mile user fee means a revenue mechanism, me, mechanism that A, is applied to road users operating motor vehicles on the surface transportation system and B, is based on the number of vehicle miles traveled by an individual road user. Pilot program, the term pilot program means a pilot program established under section B1. Um, uh, but what's interesting is that volunteer participant, this pilot program is voluntary. Who is going to volunteer to pay per mile a fee when there's already a gas tax that's supposed to kind of accomplish the same thing? Uh, so that seems a little shady to me. Um, I mean, that's what it says. It, it says uh, th the term volunteer means an owner or leasee of a private personal motor vehicle who volunteers or participates in the pilot program. Who are these people that are going to do this? Seriously, like, would anybody do this? Like, I'm, the, the offer is, hey, sign up for this program where we're going to, Charter because it describes later how it tracks great, your, per, your per miles with third-party onboard diagnostic devices, smartphone kids, applications, many uh, data collected by automakers, and then uh, motor vehicle data obtained by car insurance companies. The um, and the that's how they would determine how many miles you've driven. So, hey, well, you want to join this program? We're going to install software and we're going to install this equipment into your car that tracks how many miles you drive and then based on how many miles you drive we're going to charge you an amount of money how's that sound do you want to join school choice options who would do that but others are just real life versions so part of me thinks that this isn't going to be voluntary the school choice movement is part of a larger section 13,001 replace it with free market fundamentalism because i read through a lot of this so that you don't have to and um Section 1301 is the Strategic Innovation for Revenue Collection under Title III Research Technology and Education. Uh, doesn't that sound awesome? Strategic Innovation for Revenue Collection. Uh, thanks. Um, uh, so in general, they're going to uh, establish new ways of uh, getting income to pay for this and add to the public trust for transportation. Um, yeah, so there's all there's all these subsections. So the objective the objectives of this um, strategic innovation for revenue collection, uh, the objective, the secretary, which is the I think secretary of treasury, shall ensure that in, in the aggregate the pilot projects carried out pro projects, not projects, projects carried out using funds provided under the section meet the following objectives. To test the design acceptance equity, interesting, and implementation of user-based alternative revenue mechanisms, including among differing income, group, income groups in rural and urban areas as applicable. Um, so it's just ways to test how to get more money out of people uh, who drive. 
um, to evaluate the impacts of imposition of user-based alternative revenue mechanisms uh, uh, on transportation revenue, personal mobility, freight movement, all this stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, that that's I mean, it's it, it, it's describing a way to pay for itself, um, but this is I mean, this is not the way to go about doing this in terms of infrastructure. Why does it have to be 2,700 pages when we're talking about roads and bridges? Um, and then the next thing I want to bring up is section 13 or uh, 23,007, and that's promoting women in the trucking workforce. Why is this included in the infrastructure bill? No idea. Um, but the reason these things are in here is because they don't expect anyone to read this. Uh, and they, they, they cite these stats that only 24% of all transportation and warehousing jobs are representing women. Um, maybe that's because uh, women don't want to be truck drivers. I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm thinking about things that women are interested in and, uh, and jobs that women usually partake in and trucking just doesn't seem to, but they want to, uh, kind of promote there, there's going to be a women of trucking advisory board to encourage women to enter the field of trucking. The administrator shall, shall establish and facilitate an advisory board to be known as the women of trucking advisory board and review and report on policies uh, that provide education, training, mentorship for women, recruit, retain, advance women in trucking. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, diversity, a member of the board appointed under the subclass, under any of the subclasses I through V, I, 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 or one through eight, of clause A may not be appointed under any other subclass of the clause. Um, I would like to look up what that. Oh no, it lists right above. Okay, so it's not about race or anything like I had like I had originally thought. So members of the this board, no fewer than one, shall be a representative of a large trucking company, then a midsize, and then small, then all kinds of stuff. Um, but why is this? Why, why is this in here? God knows. Who knows? Um, I mean, the the government is the government, and uh, they'll they'll try to do anything in these omnibus. Uh, next, I want to talk about section twenty four thousand two hundred five, and it's called automatic shutoff. And I was going to put a clip in here of Tucker Carlson kind of talking about it, but it's not really needed because I found it in here. Uh, I didn't really believe him when he said this, um, but there's a section here called automatic shutoff. Again, infrastructure, why are you talking about um, So, So section C says preventing motor, right? Sounds good in principle, right? I don't want my car to just roll away. That's why I put it in park. So I don't know why it's in the bill. Um, <clears throat> But it's going to conduct a study of the regulations contained in part of 571 of Title 49, Code of Federal Regulations, um, to uh, potential consequences and benefits of installation by manufacturer, manufacturers of technology to 
prevent movement of motor vehicles equipped with keyless ignition devices and automatic transmission. So keyless ignition is becoming more and more popular amongst new vehicles, right? Uh, it's not like it's a, I mean, it used to be a very expensive, like only expensive cars had keyless ignition. Uh, now it's, it's, it's becoming more mainstream. Same thing with like backup cameras and stuff like that. But here, here are the, the, the technologies that they uh, want to try to quote unquote test out uh, to prevent um, the movement of your motor vehicle. Uh, so it's going to prevent when the transmission of the motor vehicle is not in the park setting. So this is when your car is not in park. So the, the motor vehicle does not exceed the speed determined by the secretary under paragraph two. How will they know how fast you're going? Your guess is as good as mine. The seatbelt of the operator is unbuckled. The service brake is not engaged. The door for the operator of the motor vehicle is open. So I don't know why this is included again in an infrastructure bill to deal with the quote unquote crumbling roads and bridges in America, right? Because as you know, every, every single day a bridge collapses and it's a catastrophe happens all the time. Um, so I think the next thing is 24,220 or 24220. Um, I mean, there's a lot in here, but these are just some of the main ones that I found. I'm sure there's more in here that are, uh, that are, that are more ridiculous or just as ridiculous. But this is uh, the advanced impaired driving technology. I mean, I guess it's somewhat related to infrastructure because it has to do with driving, but that's all I got. Um, and then, so I guess section a part one or whatever talks about fatalities. One third are caused by alcohol impairment, blah, blah, blah. It costs about the, it talks about the cost of those, but that was back in 2010. Um, so it says, according to insurance Institute for highway safety, advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology can prevent more than 9,400 alcohol-impaired driving fatalities annual. And then five, to ensure the prevention of alcohol-impaired driving fatalities, uh, advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology must be standard equipment in all new passenger motor vehicles. I'm going to read that again just so you understand what that means. Advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology must be standard equipment in all new passenger motor vehicles. So what does that mean? They define it. They define what advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology uh, is a system that can passively monitor the performance of a driver of a motor vehicle to accurately identify whether that driver may be impaired. So installing things in your car that watch you and monitor you and determine whether or not you're impaired. Um, and then prevent or limit the motor vehicle operation of an impaired, if an impairment is detected. That means there's going to, they're going to install a way for the government. I mean, this is a federal bill, the government, the federal government to turn off your car, right? I understand that they say to prevent uh, operation if impairment is detected, but that doesn't mean they can just 
that's all they're going to do that. They could just turn it off whenever they want. Passively and accurately detect whether the blood alcohol concentration of a driver of a motor vehicle is equal to or greater than the blood alcohol concentration described in section blah, blah, blah. So what that means is uh, breathalyzers in your I mean, that, that, that is probably the most extreme. That's the part I was, I, I guess I, I, I jumped the shark a little bit. That was the part that Tucker Carlson was talking about. It, it, it literally says must be standard equipment in all new passenger motor vehicles. And, and in us code, they have a definition of what a passenger motor vehicle is. And that's just a car. That's just your car. There's nothing special about it. There's no like, okay, it only applies to certain things. No, it's just a car. So they're going to install the, these wide range of technology that will decide whether or not you can drive. And under the guise of, um, oh, it's like, oh, we want to you know stop drunk driving or whatever. But I mean, it's... You're giving them the power to just turn off your car whenever, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm a little speechless. Um, this one I'll talk a little bit about. It's it's 41101, and that is the wage rate requirements. And it's based off the Davis-Bacon Act, which was uh, in 1931. And it just means that uh, the Secretary of Labor gets to determine how much people get paid. That's pretty much it. And there's a lot of controversy if you were to Google the Davis-Bacon Act um, because, you know, unions are heavily involved in this, right? It's the federal government. Of course, unions are going to be involved. Um, So it says, uh, shall be paid wages at rates not less than those prevailing on similar projects in the locality. How vague can you be? as determined by the secretary of labor. So they just kind of arbitrarily decide what they're going to pay you. So yeah, it could cost a trillion dollars now, but they haven't listed out what, you know, what they're going to pay. So that's ridiculous. Um, the second to last thing I want to talk about is the digital equality act of 2021. Uh, in the, in the, the shell game they're doing here is kind of ridiculous. It is the adoption of broadband um, and it's uh, changing the Telecommunications Act of 1996. And what that means is it's kind of establishing government provided internet, Um, which sounds great, right? You know, free internet for everybody. Woohoo. That's what China has, right? Do you really want the government to be in control? I mean, I know I don't I don't I don't even want like AT&T or Comcast to really be knowing what I'm doing on the internet. Not to not I mean, not necessarily I'm doing something illegal, but it's just it's just a privacy concern, right? But they're going to they're they're listing out here um that people basically are going to have the right to uh broadband internet and speeds that allow them to do certain things. Um, 
I think it might even list what those things are, but it's very vague. Just like a lot of stuff in this. For something that's so long, it can be very vague. Um, yeah, here we go. So this is what they want to do. Use applications and online content to enable and encourage self-sufficient participation and collaboration. Obtaining access to digital liter literacy training and then uh, technical support and then basic awareness of stuff. Uh, that's pretty much it. So who wants that, right? So if you if you want that, uh, go for it. Please, please go ahead and beta test that for me and uh, let me know how that goes. Uh, last is uh, Title II in the bill. This is on page 2406, by the way. That's how long this freaking bill is. Is the Chemical Superfund, which basically means they're just going to start taxing chemicals. And they have a list of chemicals that they're going to tax. Um, and I'll read some of the things in here. Chlorine. Chlorine. So this tax is a following amount per ton, right? Chlorine, $5.40. Uh, methane, six eighty-eight. Butane, which, what is, isn't that in lighters? Nine seventy-four. Uh, nitric acid, 48 cents. Sulfuric acid, phosphorus, mercury, nickel, uh, hydrogen fluoride, hydrochloric acid, uh, cobalt, chromium, uh, bromine, uh, ammonium, like th these are just like regular chemicals and they're just like, yeah, we're just going to start taxing them now. And th there's a, there's a section in here that says we're going to, no tax shall be imposed by the section after December 31st, 2031. Uh, I doubt it. Wh when has the government ever removed a tax? Riddle me that. So, you know, I know that might have been a little boring, but there were 17 Republicans that voted for this. And, I mean, I can get their names, but it's not necessarily important because the, they're not surprising. I mean, it's Mitt Romney and Lindsey Graham and a bunch of other uh, kind of wish-washy, uh, spineless people. Um, but to think that this is the only way to solve the quote-unquote infrastructure crisis, which I'm not even fully convinced of, um, is is ridiculous. And the fact that it, that they claim it'll pay for itself, but it's not. I mean, we're already going through an enormous amount of inflation. Things are costing more and more all the time. And this is just going to add to the deficit. So, and it passes in it. And it'll probably pass the House, which means it's going to be law. Uh, and that is uh, is pretty sad. Um, I kind of want to end on a this Dinesh D'Souza, which isn't my favorite guy. He has, you know, ups and downs or whatever, but he makes a good point here. And uh, there's a, there's there's a this this clip where he kind of describes capitalism in a very very easy to digest way and i love the way he does it because he he presents it from the perspective of the worker and how it seems unfair and then he describes in the big picture 
uh, why that's not the case. So, so here is Dinesh kind of describing uh, capitalism um, very simply. That's a pretty succinct, I think, description of example of, and, and, and it illustrates a, a misunderstanding most people have of um, because we take we take it for granted here. Free markets, the ability to freely decide, you know, whether or not I want Cedar or Publix or Aldi or wherever. Um, whenever someone starts a business, right? Like he said, the entrepreneur doesn't, unless I guess maybe, you know, in rare cases already had uh, angel investors or something, but generally, but generally entrepreneurs go to the bank, they get a loan, they get a business loan, they buy things. And those things, equipment, uh, vans, machinery, even uh, other things, other, other, other parts of uh, depreciate. You buy a car, right? How much does your car depreciate as soon as you drive off the lot, right? A, a huge amount. So right off the bat, the entrepreneur is losing money. And then they have to pay for insurance and they have to on their own time because if they were to pay themselves, doesn't really work that way. They haven't started making money yet. It, they're they're working kind of on their own time for free to set up the organization, organize it, set up set up the hierarchy, and then like he said, they come up with an idea, and then based off what they think, how successful they think the idea will be, they take out a loan and they accept the risk, and then they need to hire people to perform certain tasks that produce a certain amount of value but like you said as an employee how often do you check your company's uh, stock value how it did that day how it's done over the the the, the filings it does with the sec do you check those do you worry about that no because you know you're going to get paid regardless no matter what so if the company goes out of business they go bankrupt you lose your job but you just get a job somewhere else the entrepreneur who started the business now is in an enormous amount of debt, plus has all means, vans, whatever, that have depreciated. So now they're not worth as much as when they, he bought. So there's that loss. And there's the potential that uh, he lost more money while paying people and developing and creating products that didn't sell well and he wasn't successful and he lost money and he failed. So the entrepreneur, the capitalist, uh, takes 100% of the risk, right? If Microsoft all of a sudden goes bankrupt, the employees are not held responsible for the money owed, the debt that Microsoft has. Uh, employees are just going to leave and go somewhere else. It's just how it works. So I just like this succinct description of capitalism because in the beginning he kind of he he sets it up and he phrases it in a way that most that how most people look at it right on the surface it seems like oh that's not fair all this all this 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 is inequality right this wealth inequality but when you really think about it a I mean as a as a, a valet parker uh, requires 
basically no skill. I mean, you just have to drive, right? Which hundreds of millions of Americans do every day. Um, and that's about it. I mean, there's no other uh, special requirements needed. So there are a lot of you out there. It's, it's kind of like the NFL versus the NBA. Why do NBA players get such huge con- contracts while uh, on average the NFL contract? It's because there's a lot of NFL players, right? If you're a cornerback, you're easily replaceable because there's always you know, two or three guys who want to take your job. But in the NBA, you know, you're LeBron James. You, you, you don't replace LeBron James. You know what I mean? Um, so I just I just liked I like that. I, I know this podcast is a little bit longer than normal, but uh, I got caught up in the, uh, the infrastructure bill and how ridiculous that is. Um, so I, I want to close with uh, something that I a video I had watched. I was gonna put the clip in here of him talking, but I'll just I'll just kind of I'll try to just describe the the interaction. Uh, and the interaction is between uh, a professor who is a, a theist, he's a Christian, and then it's a question from a young arrogant. I've never really uh, experienced. Uh, it's very rare to come across an atheist who isn't very at least um, somewhat narcissistic. So he asks the professor about some story where this woman prayed all the time for relief uh, from being held captive, sexually abused and raped over and over and over and again, and God did nothing, right? And so he's asking, why would God allow that, right? To me personally, just asking those questions as a human being, asking those questions of uh, an entity or a force or whatever you want to call it that is outside of your comprehension, outside of this reality, is very arrogant to be like, uh, to me, this seems unfair. But the the, the short answer is, uh, I don't know why God didn't intervene. But really, uh, if God were to just intervene every time something bad were to happen and stop it, then there would be no like free will. We wouldn't really have it. We would just be robots. We would be forced to love. And that's not really what he wants. It's not the point. Um, and also, uh, the, the professor brought up a good point. Or no, he didn't. I, I, I thought of this. Not that, not that I'm saying it's a good point, but I, I think it's, it's an interesting counter-argument is that um, why don't you? So there are things in your life that are bad, right? That you make mistakes, you lie, you deceive, you steal, or even simple things like, you know, you make all kinds of mistakes. Uh, why doesn't God just punish you right then? Why doesn't God just take stop you right then? Smite you down, kill you for your sin. Obviously, not as bad as raping someone for years and years and years. But why doesn't God, you know, take out his retribution on you? Right? If you're expecting him to come in and stop this, then the same... Uh, standard be applied to you when you cut someone off in traffic why doesn't god do anything about it that person might be thinking i don't know because i don't know the full scheme and the full scope of of what's going to happen and also a, a point that the professor had brought up is that can god bring good out of bad sure he does it all the time so i think 
that's uh, that's something I want to tackle. Maybe is uh, some some common arguments that atheists will try to uh, bring up to theists as sort of like a gotcha, and uh, why they aren't really gotchas, and they're not really that. Uh, I want to end the podcast here, and thank you guys for listening. I'll plug my Twitter at draft underscore dog, and then I have an email, which is what's the deal pod alex at gmail.com. And then I'm going to try this uh, new outro where it kind of fades out and see how that sounds. And then, uh, But thanks for listening.
Here in Palo Alto, there's a Ritz-Carlton, there's a Westin. Now imagine a guy who is a valet parking cars at the Ritz-Carlton here in Palo Alto. And this guy is paid, let's say, $15 an hour. And let's say that he works 10 hours a day, so he makes 150 bucks. And this guy is now thinking to myself, in those 10 hours, how many cars did I park? Well, I parked, let's say, 100 cars. And how much does the Ritz-Carlton charge for someone to park their car? $30. So how much should the Ritz-Carlton make as a result of me parking those 100 cars? $3,000. And how much was I paid out of that $3,000? $150. 3,000 minus 150 gives $2,850. Who gets that? So from the valet's point of view, this is a very unjust system because I'm doing the work and some other guy is taking the cash. And this argument about the injustice of capitalism is actually anchored in, I think, uh, a rather interesting argument that was made by Marx himself. And so there's a big difference between the revenue generated by the sales and the cost. And that difference Marx calls surplus value. We call it profit. And Marx's question, quite a profound question, who gets that? Now Marx's assumption is that that belongs 100% to labor. Why? Because labor made the goods. The capitalists supplied nothing more than the money which has already been recompensed through interest. My view is that this description, convincing as it is on first glance, is a completely false representation of how businesses actually run. Consider for a moment the capitalist. In America today, the vast majority of capitalists supply a lot of things, but the one thing they do not supply is capital. Did Steve Jobs actually put up all the capital for Apple? No, he went to a bank. The bank supplied the capital. And this is true of Gates and all, everyone down the list. The bottom line of it, the capitalist supplies three things that Marx completely ignores that are actually of far greater value than capital and actually entitle the capitalist to a share of the profit. But Marx, in a sense, submerges these three factors completely. First, the capitalist has the idea for the business. Without the idea, there's no business. Labor doesn't think of the idea, the capitalist does. It's his or her idea, they do it. Second, the capitalist organizes the business. Here you have this valet, he goes, I parked the cars, I need all the money. The truth of it is the reason you're getting $30 to park a car is you're at the Ritz-Carlton. Somebody built the Ritz-Carlton, somebody thought of it, somebody paid all the capital costs, somebody took out the insurance. You didn't think of that. If you come to my house and want to park my car, I'll pay you 50 cents. So the reason that you're getting $30 is not because of you. It's not your labor that's worth $30. It's the resort that's worth $30. And you didn't create that. So the capitalist has the idea for it. He organizes it. And third, he takes all the risk. Very important factor. The capitalist gets paid at the end. If the business has a bad quarter, Steve Jobs can't go, or the current Tim Cook can't go to Apple and say, sorry, guys. I'm not going to pay you for six months. It's looking bad for us this half of the year. No, he has to pay them anyway. 
So labor is trading a fixed wage for security. But the entrepreneur is taking the risk that he might get nothing out of it and he could even lose money. So the truth of the matter is that in fairly assessing the just rewards of capitalism, you have to match what the entrepreneur actually contributes. And to say it's just capital, it seems to me, is a gross misunderstanding how business is actually conducted in the United States and all around the world.